and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's woman's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I feel like every podcast episode I do, and it has been a little while, begins with something along the lines of big life changes lately. So I'll skip that part because I think that's just the season of life that I'm in, and it's wonderful. Um, even though while my world is constantly shifting and I'm constantly growing and changing myself, one thing I can count on is that the Lord does not change and his word does not change. So whenever I feel life shifting and sliding into a new location or finding a new point of view, I can just stay with my eyes on Jesus and what God says is good for me to do and to say. And you know what? I think that it'll work out just fine. Today, I wanted to talk about a book of the Bible that has been sitting in my thoughts for the past couple of months since December. And yes, I do mean book, not just chapter or verse. But don't worry, we're not reading the whole thing, even if it is only four short chapters. I feel so compelled to share of the goodness of God and how good his ways are for us and how much your life could change in the blink of an eye, in the passing of a few weeks, and in the long run, the rest of your years here on earth. That being said, we are going to be taking a look at the book of Malachi today. If you don't know where that is, go ahead and flip to the beginning of the New Testament um, where you can find Matthew and then flip back one page and you'll see the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And while I never really gave it the attention it deserved before, I really see how it is the grand finale that it was before the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What you need to know before we dive into the main message is that the Israelites had a long history with God. In fact, their entire history was God. It was the entire buildup of this part of the Bible. And when they initially became a people, a nation, God made this covenant with them. It was the promise on the sides of both the people of God and of the God of the people. If the people followed God's laws and they worshiped him in their hearts, God would make them safe and protected, overflowing with abundance and health, multiply their people, and he would be with them. And if the people didn't follow God's laws and they chose idols in themselves over love for God, then God's presence and blessings would leave them. They would experience war, captivity, poverty, plague, famine, and all the problems they would cause to themselves from the evil that they practiced. The main problem with this covenant is that the Israelites were never good at keeping their side of the promise. God would send prophets to try and correct their paths, kings and judges to guide them, but imperfect people were easily swayed away from the God who loved them. And so when they wouldn't listen to the warnings to correct their behavior, God would allow them to lead themselves into trouble. So the Israelites had experienced multiple instances of captivity, of their temple even being ransacked and destroyed, and of time spent outside of the presence of God. But God, being merciful, would provide multiple chances for them to come back to rebuild, like multiple times of having to go into captivity, returning, having to face war, returning of of this back and forth of him giving them opportunities to repent. And usually it was short term repentance before the cycle started back up again. So when we start the book of Malachi, the temple had been rebuilt again, nothing compared to the original splendor, but it was back in operation. So Malachi, the author and a prophet of God, had a message for the people of this time. And after all, the name Malachi means my messenger. So it's fitting for him to be the one to share a message from God with the people then and with people now. So the question that we ask then is, what was Malachi's message? The basic message was that while people looked to be serving God, their hearts were far from worship. The priests, the leaders in their faith, they were causing a whole lot of people to stumble, and there was cheap offerings being made in the temple, 
as if it was all just for show and just a part of their routine. And the people blamed every single trouble that they encountered on God. And Malachi was calling them out for it. But his message from the Lord starts not with instructions or condemnation, but it begins with love and disbelief at the lack of understanding from the people. In fact, in Malachi chapter one, verse two, it's starting with the Lord speaking. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? It's funny how this is such a theme of the whole Bible and also just such a painful part still of today. We live in a world that loves to love themselves, and this behavior hurts people around us as a side effect. And then as the consequences of human action results in pain and loneliness, we have this tendency to look at God and curse at him and ask him why he lets trouble run rampant in the world. And it's because he lets us live. He loves us so much that he lets us make choices that lead towards death or towards life. And he loves us so much that he came to this broken world as a man to fix it for us. Because the truth of the Old Testament is that the Israelites could never keep up their end of the promise. So Jesus came down as God to shake hands with himself, to make a promise that could not be broken and to create a chance for salvation that cannot be earned and neither can it be damaged. And he loves us so much that he offers us teachings on the best way to live and act and to set us up for a good life where we have the freedom and desire to bless others, to pull others out of the pain and the hurt and loneliness we ourselves have experienced and that the world leaves people with. So it's not, how has he loved us? Instead, the question is, so how do we accept this love? How do we love him in return? It was fitting for Malachi to start with a reminder of God's love, even if this was written a good 400 years before Jesus was even born, because it contrasts with what the people were doing in response to God's love. The people were bringing in broken offerings, and the purpose of the sacrificial system was to bring in your first fruits, the spotless one from your flock, the best of what you had, because there was an acknowledgement that you were blessed by God with what you were given, like everything you received came from him. So you give back even just a tiny bit of the best to him. But instead, it was the animals that were blind, lame, and sick. They were considered polluted offerings. They were the leftovers of what the people had. And the priests were allowing this practice to continue in this way. And there was this self-righteous spirit among them saying that it is wearisome and burdensome to serve the Lord. When you live in a self-centered culture, there's a voice that will whisper, if not shout, that you have to take care of yourself because no one else will. You need to put yourself first and that will make sure that you have enough to give others. That's a really loud voice in our culture today. And the truth is, is that we weren't meant to live like that. How isolating is that way of life? How isolated from God will make ourselves when we think that we should first take care of ourselves and then others and then give the leftovers of our time and resources to God. I tell you now, if you live this way, at the end of the day or the end of your week, you will have nothing left to give to God. You will be weary and he deserves more than the leftovers of our affections. Malachi 2.1 says, if you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. His priests had turned from God and caused others to stumble. His people had not resolved to honor his name, and without resolve, honor just doesn't spring up naturally. 
It's something that you have to seek after, like Matthew 7, 14 says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. A tiny gate has to be deliberately sought after. And to resolve is to decide firmly on a course of action. It has to be a priority, not the last thing you will do if you get to it. But before you start sitting in shame for imperfection, we don't have to bring perfect sacrifices before God anymore. Jesus was our perfect offering. And while the polluted offerings in Malachi's days were polluted because of their brokenness, we get to give to God all of our brokenness. We get to give him our best and our wonderful and our first fruits and our praise and the spotless, right? But we also get to give him our hurt and our pain and our shortcomings. Psalm 51, 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And not only does God not despise our brokenness, but he revives the spirit of the lowly and he revives the heart of the contrite. So while people are crying out in Malachi and people are crying out in the 2000s, asking God why he doesn't answer their prayers, why he doesn't bring justice now, God's response in Malachi 3.21 is to tell you that justice is coming and he has a name. And we know that his name is Jesus and that he will purify the hearts of us like one refines gold and silver. He will judge the evil things of the world. But thankfully for all of us who have had the chance to be born and reborn in Christ while the world's been waiting for the past couple thousand years, God is patient. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Joel 2.12-14 says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. And this concept is followed up beautifully when we look in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouses, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. Return to him. And you will experience so much peace and joy and love that you will not be able to store all of it in your body without having to just give it away. Give to God the first fruits of what he has gifted to you. You can hold on to this abundance mindset when you're a child of God. One where you don't have to ask, but who will take care of me if not myself? You can ask instead, why would I take care of myself when I can trust God to do it so much better? Why would I stress about this when God can do it so much better? There's not enough room to store all of God's goodness, all of God's blessings. And the best cycle that you can get into is to anticipate his provision, 
and be generous with what he is providing. To try and store it all in would be pointless because it would rot and it would lose its purpose before you could use it. And it's the same with gifts of God. Mercy and love stored up inside of you and not given away freely will decay into self-righteousness and judgment. Financial success stored up will rot into pride and fear. Do you see the pattern? God has the desire for you to make choices that open up the windows of heaven. And yet still, you're going to say that, but wicked people prosper. So why should we choose to serve God if the wicked also appear to be blessed? Well, Malachi 3 verses 13 to 15 say, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it's futile to serve God. It's in vain. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed because certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So see that you are not the first or the last to ask this question. But know this, Ecclesiastes 8.13 says the wicked will not prosper, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. Okay. You know what? He might think that he's going to live forever and the things he's built up are going to matter to something, but they're a shadow. They're a vapor. They're going to disappear. And he's not going to have something that lasts because he's not building up heavenly rewards. He's not serving the Lord. Everything he's built up is dust to him because when he dies, he doesn't get to hold on to it. It's not vain to serve the Lord. In fact, Malachi 3, 16 to 18 says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. We see from reading this that God sees and he hears. He sees and hears the evil that has gone unpunished and the good that has gone unrewarded. And he sees and hears you. When you fear the Lord and you resolve to honor his name, to trust in him, he says that you are his, that you are treasured in his sight. The real question is, why would God treat us as his children, spare us as his own children, when we don't even serve him well most of the time? Well, it's because we have a mediator who brings us into the family. Malachi 4, 1, 2, 3 said, Surely the day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. All of the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day is coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Thank God that he's given us time to revere his name, to find the narrow gate and enter it daily with our first fruits and with our brokenness. For us who accept him, he shines on us with healing and refreshing for our souls. He stands near. I would even just take a minute and pause and ask him to reveal to you now how he has always been near to you, even the moments that you felt far from him. And with that, it wraps up the Old Testament. And for 400 years, everyone held their breath, waiting for this day that God promised them. For 400 years, no one was able to fix their problems. No one was able to 
make a difference. They just had to sit for these 400 years and wait for God to act because they couldn't do it themselves until they heard a voice crying out in the wilderness to make straight the way for a king, a king that was born in a barn instead of a palace, who was crucified instead of crowned. And 2000 years later, we all hold our breath again. We're waiting for the day God has promised us still unable to fix our problems, but living with the spirit inside us and using God's word as a guide for us. And we have become the voices crying out in the wilderness of the world to change our ways, to look towards our salvation, to prepare for the coming of our king. And this time he's going to return in full glory, already crowned, and we will attend a wedding, the likes of which has never been seen before. And Revelations twenty two seventeen says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come invite Jesus in. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life, which is salvation and satisfaction and eternal life with our savior. Well, that is everything that I have for today. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible or anything else, I'd be happy to answer it as best as I can. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.